You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths, Joe Hopkins, and Mike Chappell joining me as always. What a show we have for you today. After probably two months of talking very much nothing but the NFL draft, now it's in the past, so... Still plenty to talk about, though, because we can uh, break down what we think about the picks, what we think about what did happen, what did not happen, notably, which we'll start off with really in this podcast. But uh, seven Colts draft picks to talk about a little bit, uh, let you know how we think they fit in, let you know uh, from our perspective and from our discussions with Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, Jim Ursay, how they think, more importantly than us, those players fit into uh, the team for the future. Um, of course, we're going to start with developments on the left tackle market. First, a few uh, things before that. Uh, we, we start with a happy birthday to uh, Indy's own Jack Doyle, the uh, former undrafted free agent himself, uh, an eight-year veteran now in the NFL who's earned multiple contracts in the league, a second and a third deal. That does not happen often for the undrafted free agent, so a salute to Jack today. Cathedral's finest, turning 31 years old. Uh, and he has two more years on his contract right now with the Colts. Um, and, uh, and Mike, his, uh, his contributions certainly to, uh, to the offense and uh, to the team, just being a leader on the team, have been uh, very notable o- over the past couple years, I would say. You know, for, if I'm an agent and, and my player didn't get drafted, I, w- I would bring up Jack Doyle's name. He's a perfect example of, of players who don't get drafted can turn into pretty good players. I mean, I, I go back to Gary Brackett. But like you said, Jack Doyle with, with two. It's hard to get one, to get two free agent contracts. And he's one of those guys, and we've talked about it, he's that blue-collar guy that that he's he's not the flashy player, but you need him in your locker room, you need him on the field. So kudos to Jack Doyle. And he's a great guy, too. He, he, he's the local kid. He hasn't forgotten where he's from. He's, he's in the community. So I just think Jack Doyle is the poster boy to how you do things. And Joe, as much as we've talked about the Colts probably wanting to do something with tight end this offseason, which they did in the draft, and we'll get to that, trying to draft someone or bring someone in, uh, I I don't think we've ever wanted to uh, make it seem like that's a knock on Jack Doyle. Jack does what he does very, very well. He's a good blocking tight end. He can get you nine yards on third and seven. He's just not the guy that stretched the field over the middle. That's what we thought the Colts might be looking for because notably Jim Ursay said something about that so um, none of us as much as uh, we said yes the Colts need some help at tight end would uh, would take anything away from Jack Doyle and what he, he's been able to contribute to the Colts no not to replace Jack at tight end he needs a partner at tight end the Colts Amen use so that. many two and three tight end sets that there's basically two tight end starters on the team so he just needs a running mate out there the Colts uh, kicking the stigma Mental health campaign currently is ongoing every day through May 6th. It's going to feature a different theme. You can find it on Colts.com, on the Colts Twitter account. Um, At last check, on Wednesday, the Colts have raised more than $100,000 for mental health initiatives. This is something that uh, has been important, certainly, to the Ursay family, Mike. And uh, it's uh, really this year taking it from from something that has been discussed internally to something that is now uh, certainly a – a theme externally that they uh, hope to contribute to, let's just say society, beyond uh, beyond actual NFL games, is this uh, Kicking the Stigma campaign. Yeah, I think those of us who've been around this team since Jim Irsay has, has sort of come through the ranks from GM to owner and all this, 
we understand what they what he's done, that what the family's done, what the team's done. Sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes not. I mean, sometimes what they do is is well known. But th- th- this is this is taking all of that to a different level. Th- this is this is putting their brand on an issue that. You know, I saw a, a quote from Tony Dungy where he said, "You know, if you get an ankle injury, people don't say. You know, you address it. You, you say this is what we do to treat it, and that's not always been the case with, with mental illness, depression, all that. So, I just think that uh, Jim Ursay and his family, Kalen, and the rest of the Ursays, they just deserve so much credit for putting their name and their brand on a very serious issue that they can have very serious." Uh, you know, impact and help with. So kudos to the Hearsay family and to the Colts brand. We certainly encourage you to donate if you can. If it is something on your heart, go to Colts.com and you can find information on how to donate right there. And finally, before we move on, the Colts are working out. Former Bears kicker Eddie Pinheiro did that on Tuesday. So, Joe, some competition for your boy. What do you have to say about yourself? You know, Ballard says he wants to create competition at every position. And, uh, you know, my my boy Blankenship isn't immune to that. So I'm sure if there was a kicking competition, uh, Blankenship would probably win. I'm not scared. I I think he'll be on on the team next year. I I think Blankenship. Yeah, go ahead, chap. Yeah, and I think there needs to be competition. I mean, Blankenship, the numbers were pretty good. What a rookie record, Colts rookie record for points and field goals. Uh, tied for fifth most points in team history. But there were just a couple of hiccups. And the one that just is hard to get past was that 33-yarder that he, he hit the, the right upright at, at Buffalo. It's 17-10 to 10 in the third quarter, and you're just sort of almost hanging on. And you just can't miss those kicks. So I, I thought – I'm not saying that, that, that this – I still expect Blankenship to be the kicker. But you just can't let anybody have any uh, chance of complacency. Not that there would have been anyway, but it wouldn't surprise me if Pinheiro was signed, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's someone else. So those are our bits of news from the Colts this week. We're about to turn our attention to the NFL draft, but before we really do that, we have to turn our attention to what was not done in the NFL draft as the Colts brought seven different players in because if you've listened to us over the past weeks, over the past months, You know what we all thought was the most important position or the most glaring hole the Colts had on their team right now. It was left tackle. Certainly some others that we discussed along the way, but without Anthony Costanzo, with him retiring, I think we were unanimous in saying that the Colts need a left tackle somehow throughout free agency or the NFL draft. Since nothing had happened so far in free agency, I think all of us were of the ilk that the draft was the most likely spot for anything to happen at that point. But nothing happened at that point. The Colts did not draft a left tackle, and thus, uh, all due respect to uh, to seventh round pick uh, in the in this draft for the Colts, uh, Penn State's Will Fries. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it was it was not a first round pick, a second round pick. Uh, there was uh, no high end guy that you think you can plug in right there on day one, and and and, and hold his water and, and go out there and protect Carson Wentz's blindside. Um, I think that Chris Ballard said uh, after the first round, he said that the guys, like at, when they were there, he didn't see too many guys 
who were prototypical left tackles. That was his quote. There's no prototypical left tackle, which kind of stood out to me because Christian Darrisaw was still there. And as we were leading up to this draft, I didn't see, I don't remember a single mock draft where Christian Darrisaw made it past the Colts. I saw a lot where he got drafted before the Colts, but I don't remember a single, single one where he got past the Colts at 21st overall because he was a left tackle at Virginia Tech, and he didn't allow a heck of a lot of pressures at Virginia Tech. In, well, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that uh, as we discussed them over the past couple weeks, um, they, were, they were impressive numbers. So nevertheless, uh, Chris Ballard decides to, uh, to forego the need at left tackle, uh, Mike, it doesn't mean they're done at left tackle, but uh, over the past uh, week or so of the draft and post-mortem stuff from Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, uh, I've heard more good things said about Sam Tevy than I could find on the internet um, over uh, when, when we were discussing uh, who he was and how he performed over the past couple of years with the Chargers, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, and I still believe, and I think internally they believe that he's there their fallback plan that if nothing else happens, well, we have Sam, but you're right. I mean, it's funny how they talk, well, we signed some guys and we got Sam and, and Sam's played a lot of good football. And well, the, the chargers had an awful offensive line and, and they let him go that they're rebuilding out there. So I always go back to the same thing that free, free agents are free agents for a reason. There, there's something about them that their team doesn't, want to stick with whether it's an injury whether it's performance whether it's salary so you know it's sort of buyers beware now sometimes it works you know Justin Houston worked a couple of years the Colts have got a lot of history with with good signings Sam TV we'll see uh I, I just one thing about when Darishaw was there I was surprised they didn't take him but when Chris Ballard explained it they had Quiddy Pay as their their highest ranked player and I got the impression that may it may not have been all that close because Ballard's always said that if you get to a spot and two players are are side by side, you take the need. Now you could argue that the need was almost as glaring at both edge rusher and, and offensive tackle, but he made it clear that uh, Quiddy Pay was the highest rated player. And Joe can talk about this because he's more into it. But and I think Joe did talk about going into the draft that a lot of these tackles had right tackle, you know, kind of stamped on them going into the NFL. There weren't maybe that many, like Ballard said, prototypical left tackles. So, and he said, if you're going to take a left tackle that high, you've got to be convinced he's going to be your left tackle for the next, you know, eight to 10 years. So, so I'm not so sure that Joe may not agree that most of these tackles were really targeted to be right tackles. Yeah, Joe, I wonder if you can go a little bit more in depth on that. What's the difference between left tackle and right tackle that uh, GMs or scouts might be looking for? Like, like for me, I know a couple of them. I'd, I'd love to hear you explain them. And uh, like, like for me, Christian Derrissaw was pretty darn close to the prototypical left tackle, just Chris Bauer didn't have him that way or just had Quiddy Pay so much higher above him on his board, as Mike said. Uh, he couldn't uh, couldn't take one over the other. So what exactly what is in, does Chris Ballard mean when he's looking for a, quote, prototypical left tackle, maybe some numbers or whatever it might be? Well, as time goes on, the difference is shrinking and shrinking as, you know, there are more left-handed quarterbacks. But the, the, the thinking is your quarterback, usually a right-handed thrower, their blind side is at left side. So you want your best pass protector protecting on that left tackle spot. And so you want someone who has length. Length is a big deal. A lot of these tackles in this class had, 
shorter arms than a prototypical left tackle. Uh, that 34-inch mark is kind of the standard cutoff um, that you want your tackle's arms to be at least 34 inches of length so they have long enough arms to strike the defensive ends as they're coming and have that reach on them. Christian Darisol had long arms. He had those 34-inch arms. I'm not sure what wasn't prototypical about Christian Darisol. Played well, played the left tackle position, kind of checked all the boxes as far as height, weight, strength, uh, length. Um, before the draft, we saw some things mentioned about medicals, and he had surgery, and he played through, I think, a core injury. So maybe the Colts weren't all that comfortable with his medical situation, although their second-round pick might make you think otherwise about how they feel about medicals. I'm not quite sure. If I had to guess, I would think the Colts just had Quiddy Pay ranked as a much better defensive end than they had Christian Darisol ranked as an offensive tackle. Or they simply thought there were several veteran tackles still available that they liked better as opposed to taking the offensive tackle and trying to sign a veteran defensive end. Yeah, I'm probably leading that way myself. That they they a the the biggest thing a was they had Quiddy Pay ranked higher, obviously, and that's something that Chris Ballard has said. And as much as uh, Ballard can smokescreen things sometimes with the media, he doesn't he doesn't outright lie to the media on on, on things like that. Uh, so um, so they definitely had Quiddy Pay ranked higher. And uh, and I think you bring up a good point with uh, with just the medical situation that maybe they weren't quite as comfortable with his medical situation as they would be with another. And uh, you, you bring up uh, Dio Dangba's uh, his Achilles injury. The Colts just went through one of them with Marlon Mack. And, uh, but, but anyway, they, they've gone through others in the past. If I'm not mistaken, Robert Mathis uh, ha- had an Achilles as well. So uh, maybe, maybe just people in that building are, are more okay with the injury recovery process for, for one injury rather than another. And that's what you get in the medical community for sure. Any, anyway, um, you, you bring up also the, the, uh, the notion that there are free agent left tackles still out there. And that's something we also discussed throughout the weeks leading up to the draft, that, hey, if the Colts don't draft a left tackle here, um, or if they draft one that they like in the fourth or fifth round that's more of a developmental guy, there are still these options out there. So uh, uh, one of them was scooped up this week. That's former Steelers left tackle Alejandro Villanueva. He signed a two-year, $14 million deal with the Ravens. Eight million of that is fully guaranteed. Um so, so Mike, I mean, we were stip- we were speculating rather on uh, on the cost for some of these guys who are still out there. Uh, Seven million dollars a year for your left tackle is not too shabby. It's certainly a lot less than some guys were going for earlier in free agency. Uh, and uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler did report the Colts were at least involved in some point in the Villanueva discussions, but he ends up going to the Ravens, so that's at least one player that won't be on their board anymore. I have to wonder there there their level of, of concern over left tackle. Maybe we were just on different pages from the Colts. I, I don't know. But but after you don't get one from the draft, it, it's funny, both Ballard and, and, and Ursay talked about, well, you know, we've got Sam, but we're going to scour the market, which they're doing now. They bring in, they're supposed to bring in Eric Fisher. I had someone tell me they'll bring him in later this week. Uh, but, but, what, what what's your what's your your commitment? I mean, if 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 Villanueva gets seven million a year, what what are you willing to pay Fisher, who's coming off the Achilles, or Charles Leno of, of the Bears, who who's who, who's more uh, probably ready to go and probably going to demand more? Keep in mind that they're 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 committed to getting 
Darius Leonard and Braden Smith um, at minimum. Those two guys done this offseason. And they've got, again, $23 million of cap space. So they've got things to do, the ways to do it. But if you take up 7 or $8 million of that cap space with a left tackle, then it's going to make it harder or it's going to make you be more creative with, 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 uh, with, with extensions, depending on how you want to do them. So, you know, will they pay seven, eight million dollars for a for Charles uh, Leno? You know, keep in mind that that what Leno and Fisher and and Russell Okun have going for them, other guys, is all it takes is two teams uh, to to be interested. And in, was who was it? Uh, the Broncos lost a tackle uh, with an Achilles or knee or something, where he's going to be out most of the year. So all of a sudden, you know, all it takes is two teams to drive up the price. So I, you know, I, I kind of think Fisher's the one they may go with if it works, if he passes his physical. But what 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 will be your level of financial commitment to finding a left tackle? Certainly a question that Chris Ballard and the uh, front office staff are going to have to answer. Joe, really three different off veteran left tackles uh, are, are still on the market now. Uh, we, we've mentioned Charles Leno. We've mentioned Eric Fisher, Russell Okung there as well. If you compare them with Anthony Costanzo, um, their pro football focus grade from last year is, um, for Leno and Okung, very similar. It's like 73-74, right in that same range, all all three of those guys. Uh, Fisher was markedly better. I think he was uh, 80 or 80-plus, and he was a pro bowler last year, his second pro bowl as well. But, of course, you throw in the Achilles injury there, and that certainly puts at least a question mark uh, on his ability at, at the start of the year. Now, I, I followed a, a, a friend... Um, uh, and now, and now I forget his dang last name. Um, his his his, his Twitter uh, his Twitter account is at injury expert. His first name is Will, and Will I Carroll. swear I'm I'm gonna kick myself. Thank you, Will, Will, Carroll. Will Carroll. We've had him on our shows here before. I don't know why why I was completely blanking on that name. Thanks, chap. But uh, but Will's a great guy. He's not a doctor. He'll tell you that. But he's been around medical professionals for a good portion of his life. He understands the jargon. And he knows a lot of things that doctors know. And uh, what what he says, and he he was tweeting about actually, I find this this very telling that he was tweeting about Eric Fisher to the Colts a week ago, before the uh, the idea that uh, the reports were coming out yesterday that the Colts were going to bring him in for a visit. Um, he was tweeting back then about Fisher and the Colts and saying that the fastest the fastest Achilles recovery time is about nine months is what you're looking at. So if Eric Fisher got injured on January uh, 24th, nine months from January 24th is October 24th. So you go February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. October 24th would be the fastest he could get back from an Achilles injury. So if you bring in Eric Fisher, depending on the severity of the injury, of course, if it's more minor, then you might be more uh, inclined to make a deal like this if it's more major like a complete tear or a more significant tear then it'll go past that mark but uh joe you look at fisher you're probably not going to have him for the first month plus of the season that's three or four games if not five to six games um the other two guys with leno he has history with some colts coaches okung has an injury history himself as well he's missed 19 games over two seasons and none of these guys are perfect by any stretch but do you think one or uh, is you think one is better than any of the others with the information we have right now? Well, because of the injury, I think best case is Leno. I mean, he, he played 
He started every game over the past five seasons. You mentioned he played for Colts offensive line coach uh, Chris Strasser at Boise State. And he's just been a solid left tackle for the Bears. He hasn't been great, um, but he hasn't been a liability as well. And at this point, this is kind of just what the Colts need. I think we all feel, and a lot of people around the league feel, that Sam Tevy would be a liability if he's their starting left tackle. If Leno comes into play, and especially given the quality of the offensive line around him, um, I, I think the Colts' offensive line would be about at the same level as it was last year. I don't think Leno is that drastic of a step down from Costanzo. Obviously, I think Costanzo is better, but I don't think it's that massive of a difference that the Colts would just have a hole at left tackle. I mean, Indianapolis showed what they thought of Sam Tevy when they give him a one-year, two-and-a-half-million-dollar contract. I mean, that's not starting left tackle money. Clearly, he's brought in to be a backup. Um, And I know they're doing what they have to, talking him up right now, but if they don't sign one of these tackles here... Uh, they're just going to have a hole on that side of their offensive line. You know, injury aside, Eric Fisher would still be in Kansas City if he never got hurt. Eric Fisher would have been the premier left tackle in free agency if for some reason they still cut him and he wasn't hurt. Um, You know, long term, I think Eric Fisher is the best player of this group. But because of that injury, you know, he's basically not going to be back recovered from the injury until late October, early November at the earliest, and then he's got to get into football shape and shake off the rust and all of that stuff. So I think best-case scenario for the Colts would be Leno, but if they sign Fisher, at least it's something for this upcoming season. They need to do something, add some kind of veteran to that left tackle spot. Chris Ballard was the director of player personnel in 2013 when the Chiefs drafted Fisher number one overall. Um, and he was with the franchise, Ballard was, for the first four seasons of uh, Fisher's career. So you, you talk about history. There's a little bit of history in this building with both Fisher and Leno. Um, and, and I forgot to mention even Jason Peters, really a fourth option still available at left tackle, who's, I believe, 39 years old right now. So he's getting up there. He came back for the Eagles last year and played a couple different positions on their ravaged offensive line. At his peak, he was one of the best left tackles in football. He very well could be a pro football Hall of Famer one day, but he's 39, 40, coming up on 40 years old. Um, there's just there's not quite as much tread left on the tires in him. Um, Mike, do, do you want to lean any one way on any of these guys? I, I'd imagine so much of it depends on if Eric Fisher comes in for a visit and the Colts are able to get their medical hands on him, so to speak, and, and see exactly how his, um, how his injury has gone so far, how the rehab is going. Like that, that's got to be the, the central focus when they're bringing him in. It's not obviously not to bring him through drills or anything. It's not to see if he gets along with people in the building. I'm sure he'll do that. It's very much a medical reason to bring him into Indianapolis this week. Sure, and, it, it, and it's crazy how, and we've seen over the years, how one team will fail a player and then the next player the next team will pass a player. How, how do you pass a player to sign a contract who had Achilles surgery, what, what four months ago or whatever? So I, we'll see where that goes. And, I, you know, I agree with Joe. I don't see how you can even remotely expect Eric Fisher to be your starter in September. I, I don't see how you do it. Uh, and, and to expect him to, to be ready in, in October, November, I mean, that means you're planning on Sam Tiffy holding down the fort. You know, Leno makes the most sense, and Leno will be the most expensive. He simply will. So this will come down again to to, to how committed they are to, to, to 
really feel filling that position. I go back to it was in the off season, I think, and we were talking to Frank Reich about Costanzo because it, it's funny how people took Costanzo for granted until he's not here. You know, he was sort of hmm. it, it, people criticized him. He was pretty good. I always thought he was top ten, top eleven, left tackle. And what Frank talked about was when you have Costanzo, you don't worry about who who he's going against. It, it's he, hey, you know, hey, AC, that's your guy, whoever it was. And they didn't they didn't put a tight end over there. They rarely chipped with the receiver or running back, and allowed you to run your offense full board. The whole playbook was open. And he said, when you don't have that guy, it's simply restriction. Now, how much of a restriction is, is how how bad your left tackle is. So it, they, they can talk a good game now, which they need to do because they may have to go into the season with Sam Tevy. But that's not even remotely an ideal situation because it's going to require some give on Frank Reich and his play calling because you just can't say, yeah, hey, we got Sam out there. He'll be okay. That's not what this is about. So, again, I, I'm all for, for giving Leno a good look. The fact that Strasser has a history with him, he will be able to say, you know, I don't think so, or, hey, it's worth it. And then it's up to the Colts to decide how they want to do it and make it work. They can make it work. Let's, 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 the, the bottom line is these guys, if they think Leno, and what is he, is he 29? I, I haven't got his stuff in front of me. I think he's 29. He could be a guy that that is more than a one-year fix. That's not ideal. It, it's not because then you're getting into the the bigger contracts for a left tackle on a line that's already going to be saturated with big contracts. But but again, this is a guy that that's on the right side of thirty. He's done. He's got a long streak of doing it, and I think you'd be a lot more equipped at left tackle with him. But I I just don't know there level of commitment financially to bringing in a guy like that. Because, again, like I said, there's a market for, for Charles Leno. And by the way, the Colts have $22 million in cap space per over the cap. Uh, I know they got to sign the rookies and they want to get the extensions done. But I feel like they have enough money to sign one of these guys, especially if they get creative with the extensions and the bulk of the money starts in year two or three or down the line for Darius Leonard or Braden Smith or whoever they might be extending at the time. So while, you know, bringing in the left tackle and getting the extensions done might be tight, it's completely doable. People do. It's done all the time. It's, I just think it's going to, I really think, like you said, it's going to require the Colts to deviate a little bit on how they do extensions. Again, yeah, you, you push the money forward. I'm not so sure. I, I thought I read somewhere where the, the 2022 salary cap isn't going to be all that much higher than this year because of how things are built into the TV deals and all that. So I just think they're going to requ- it's going to require the Colts to be creative. And I'll go back to what I've always said. I, I totally understand not giving signing bonus and, and, and pushing money forward when you're talking about a veteran free agent, whether it's Justin Houston, Jamal Sherrod, whomever. Because you just really don't know, but when you're talking about Quentin Nelson and Darius, or, uh, when you're talking about Darius Leonard and Braden Smith this off season, you're banking on as much known as you can 
So I'm not so much, so worried about these guys not panning out and then there being dead money. This may be a summer that the Colts need to be creative. Left tackle will be a discussion that is ongoing throughout the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Find updates on that situation and others throughout the week, throughout the offseason now, uh, which uh, does not exist in the NFL, but we still refer to it as the offseason anyway. So um, now let's get back into that draft class. Uh, first pick, 21st overall, the Colts select Michigan defensive end Quiddy Pay. Uh, now, one thing that I found uh, interesting was, of course, the Colts tweeted out the uh, the the annual uh, John Dorsey call to uh, Chris Ballard in the draft room where he calls just to mess with him um, when the Colts are on the clock. And uh, during that call, Chris picks up and he says, have you upped your offer? And then you hear John say no. And so then he realizes who it is on the phone. So obviously, guys. The Colts had an offer for the 21st overall pick. You can insinuate that just from the video that they sent out. So there was an offer. The Colts did not take the offer. They like Quiddy Pay. Six foot two, 261 pounds, 33 inch arms. Ran a 452 40 yard dash. That is uh, quite impressive. And uh, his three cone drill is what is stunning. He did not run it this year, but he previously posted a 637 in the three-cone drill, which is significantly higher, or lower, rather, than any edge rusher has ever recorded at the NFL Combine. And for reference, a young man by the name of Tyreek Hill, wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, ran a 653. So Quiddy Pay was a full .16 seconds faster than one of the fastest and shiftiest receivers in the NFL at the three-cone drill. Mike, one thing Chris Ballard told us uh, during the post-draft news conference was there are certain traits that he likes, that we all know he likes. And Quiddy Pay is really a, um, a physical manifestation of, of some of those traits that Chris Ballard and the Colts, as we've seen in previous drafts, uh, really truly value, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Well, and then he took it a step further and said, you know, he says, you guys all know how valuable character is to us. And he said, this guy's both. He's the athletic player, productive, and he's got the character that we look for. Anyone who's seen the videos that have been put out about uh, Quiddy and his background with the uh, his mom in, in West Africa, it's, 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 it's really gripping. So, and what this guy's been through and what he's done, so, of course, now the bottom line is, can he do it on the field? Stories are great. Production in the NFL is better. And they need they need Quiddy Pay to be a factor right away. They they really do. I remember back in, in 0, what was it, 02, when they drafted Dwight Freeney. And they let him sort of marinate out of what, – what school did Freeney go to? I, I can't remember. Syracuse. Syracuse <laughs> University. And he didn't start till midseason. So, so I I don't think they can afford to uh, let this guy kind of marinate for, for half the season. They need him to play and contribute early. But they, like you said, they, if they had options to move back, serious options, I think it just tells you where they had Quiddy Pay on their draft board, which it, it was high. So they, they weren't moving. They got the player they wanted, and we'll see if it pans out. 
with the early draft picks, Joe, it just seems like um, Justin Houston's time in Indianapolis is over. I'm sure the door had been open up until the draft, but I think uh, we'll get more into Dio Dangbo in a little bit. But based on the first two picks, I'd imagine that door is shut. And as Mike said, they're really hoping for some production from these young guys and Quiddy Pay being their first pick, him in particular, to help fill that void that Houston leaves. Yeah, and I forget who asked Ballard after the draft about Justin Houston, and Ballard's response was, it's a pretty full room, Um, which it is. It's a youth movement in Indianapolis. I mean, really, the only guy who is kind of that veteran, which we know what he is, is Muhammad, Um, and he's a rotational guy at best, or a solid starter, but not a guy who you want out there for the majority of the snaps. So other than that, they have the three former second-round picks, um, that we're still kind of figuring out what they are. Some of them in year four with Lewis and uh, Ture. And now we have two rookies, or one and a half maybe. Who knows when uh, Odangba will be able to get on the field with his torn Achilles. But I think Pay is going to start week one for the Colts. Uh, he's a guy who, you know, you hear his story, you hear he gets drafted, and he says, my mom's officially retired. It's easy to root for this guy, and... He's the kind of player who, high effort, high athleticism, even if he doesn't develop uh, the array of moves and reach that peak ceiling where he gets 12 to 15 sacks a year, that's this guy's ceiling. That's how good he is. He's still going to be a good player who gives you, I mean, I think his floor is eight or six to eight sacks a year and a stout run defender. Um, which is still pretty darn good. I mean, this guy has a huge ceiling, and his floor is pretty high as well. So it's easy to understand why the Colts love him. Uh, This pick would be a home run if the hole at left tackle didn't still remain. The left tackle kind of clouds this whole draft because they didn't address it, and until they do, this draft is going to be held in the light of, yeah, they did this, but didn't address the left tackle. With respect there, I think that his floor is a little bit lower than... The, I, I would I would say his floor is a little bit lower than, than you think, and I think the main evidence for that is he dropped to 21st overall in the draft. Elite edge rushers don't fall to 21st overall all that often. Guys who are, uh, guys who are high ceiling, high floor. I think he's high ceiling. I, I agree with you there. But I, 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 I'm not convinced that his floor is all that high right now. I, I think that it could be um, that he, he has some great measurables and he has some good numbers that he has at Michigan. Um, but it, there is still development work to do with him. I think, as you mentioned, trying to just work the array of um, of more pass rush moves and not strictly rely on pure speed which he certainly has on pure strength which he certainly has because you get into the nfl and you meet a lot of guys who have those same traits so now it's about um i I think he could beat some nfl guys obviously with those traits because those are very good traits but it's about developing the other things after that it's about getting him in a room with robert mathis and getting to work you know um, as we've seen Rob work with several other Colts draft picks uh, over the past couple of years. So um, so I, I would venture to say that his floor is not all that high. I, I think it's I don't think it's incredibly low either, but I, I think that it could be I think his floor could be 
a poor man's Jabal Sheard because he's a big guy, he's a strong guy, and maybe he can get you five and a half sacks a year as well as being a stout run defender. I think he's going to be a very, very good run defender in the NFL. I think that ceiling's a little bit higher. I don't know about his pass, pass rush ceiling just now. It's to be determined. And uh, I think that's why uh, I think that's why he fell to twenty first overall. That's my opinion. One, one thing to so. keep in mind too is a lot of time it's fit. How does he fit? Uh, go back with with Freeney in in O two, and I'm sure a lot of teams didn't have him at eleven in, in the draft. But, but and, and he was just such a great fit here for what for how Dungy played his defense, and also Quiddy Pay is going to benefit and, and vice versa. With DeForest Buckner. Uh, I would think DeForest Buckner loved this draft. I really do. Uh, again, we'll see how how long it takes Dio to get dialed in, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how they use pay, which I think he's I think he's going to be, you know, out there from day one because he sort of has to be. But uh, it's it's this guy's going to be fun to watch grow because they've – keep in mind, they, they've not exactly hit home runs on – picking they haven't picked as high with this but they haven't exactly hit home runs um not even doubles with uh pass rushers so far in, in chris ballard's tenure here that brings us to round two pick 54 overall the colts draft vanderbilt defensive end dio odangbo who also has some pretty exciting physical tools himself he's 6'5 about 280 pounds more than 35-inch arms. Joe, you're talking about arm length. That is that is very, very long arms. It's something that Daniel Jeremiah, I saw, uh, was uh, quoted as saying, like the first thing that pops out to you of Dio is those long arms. You stick them out, and offensive linemen can't get their hands on you. It's a very important trait to have for both guys in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And I remember just watching one game last year of Vanderbilt. I don't know. They were probably on the office playing Mississippi State because Chris Hagan was hogging the, the, the television. And, and I remember looking at it and saying, that one guy who's good on Vanderbilt, their only one good player, is act- he actually looks pretty darn good. Like that uh, that defensive end. What's his name? Uh, I can't say his name, but he looks pretty good. But now I know his name. It's Dio Odengbo. So um, Joe tore his Achilles before uh, the Senior Bowl in January. So again, probably nine-month recovery. He might be available in September or October. Um, October, probably the more, more likely of the two. But uh, he had five and a half sacks in eight games in 2020 and uh, certainly was a disruptive force for the Commodores. Yeah, he's. He, I think he's perfect for that Danico Autry role, where he'll play that left defensive end, and then on passing downs he can slide inside it and has the skills to rush right next to DeForest Buckner. I mean, can you imagine? Best case scenario, everything works out perfectly for the Colts. They got a Pay on one side, Odangbo, and Buckner in the middle, and then Teray coming off the left end on third and long. If all those guys are healthy, that's pretty darn good right there. But he's another high upside guy. Ballard said if it wasn't for the injury, he'd be a first-round pick. And given his physical tools and, you know, the production he had at Vanderbilt his last year, it's easy to see, say, easy to see why, excuse me. And um, he's a guy who all, I've read reports that there were teams right behind the Colts who were ready to take him at the end of round one, early round three. So the Colts kind of felt like they couldn't trade back and still get this guy. Indianapolis basically feels like they got two first-round pass rushers in Odangbo and Quidipay. The big, the big but, the big if is just his Achilles. And I mean, not only is that a lengthy recovery, but that's 
probably the hardest injury to come back from in sports and still be just athletic. I mean, we've seen Achilles injuries just kill careers. Uh, um, Victor Cruz of the Giants is the first one that pops into my mind. Uh, electric receiver for New York, and then there goes his Achilles. His career is basically done, and he's by far not the only player to have that happen to him. So you hope Odangbo is able to recover and get back on the Colts quickly. This might be a redshirt year for him, but if he's as good as the Colts think he is, it, it may pay off. Yeah, what, what, I, I, that's what, what, yeah, go ahead, Mike. What, what, what Chris Ballard said is it, it was worth the risk. And, and maybe they view this guy as whatever you get from this year is great, but he'll be our 2022 first-round draft pick. And if that's the case, and if they can you know, get by without, with, with limited production this year, we'll see. But uh, it, it's, a, it's another, again, so many guys they talked about were high upsides, and, and we'll see if, if they're right on their evaluation. Yeah, I'm certainly intrigued by Dio, and uh, Morocco Brown of the Colts scouting department called him the Human Hurricane. That was his uh, his nickname. So let's see if that uh, hurricane uh, takes uh, what's the word uh, touches ground or whatever in uh, in Indianapolis over the next couple of years. No third round pick for the Colts this year. That one traded away to the Eagles in the Carson Wentz deal. So we go to round four and pick 127. That's SMU tight end Kylan Granson. We knew the Colts wanted a tight end that could stretch the middle of the field. He certainly can do that. He averaged 16 yards per catch for the Mustangs uh, over his final two seasons. Originally went to Rice, but then transferred to SMU. Uh, certainly a hybrid type tight end, can work on his blocking. Um, but, uh, but Mike, this, this fits a need, again, that the Colts have to get a little bit more dangerous from uh, their playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. It's funny. Uh, we can talk about the drops or Joe can talk about the drops. But almost the biggest criticism was, well, this guy's not a blocker. And I'm, I'm, all I can say is, so what? That's that's not what they got him for. They they, they didn't sign Eric Ebron to be a blocker. They didn't try, uh, sign Trey Burton to be a blocker. That's not what you want. You've got that with with, with Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox. You want that move, that F tight end, and that's what they think they got with this guy. So can, can, can he be a factor right away? They hope so because that – that guy's not on the roster. And again, like Joe said, this isn't a knock on Jack Doyle. You know, tight ends are—they're different type tight ends, and 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 this guy can do what Jack Doyle can't do, and Jack Doyle can do a lot what this guy can't do. So uh, you know, they think this guy can be a playmaker, kind of quickly. Uh, He—he's a receiver. He's a tight end in a receiver's body, in, in a big receiver's body. So this is what was missing. And if if you give Frank Reich enough toys, he finds a way to make him to make him work. And this will be interesting to see how quickly he gets him incorporated in this offense. Yeah, Joe, you look at Kylan Granson. I mean, he has some some tools that can that can be dangerous facing the defensive uh, facing a defense. Uh, Brevin Jordan from Miami was still on the board, and he's a guy we talked about uh, a little bit before the draft. Granson wasn't wasn't exactly on our radar, but. Uh, he certainly was on the Colts for uh, for one reason or another to be uh, to be the guy that they took here in uh, in round four. Yeah, as we got closer to the draft, there kind of came out this rumbling that the media liked Brevin Jordan a lot more than the NFL did, and I think that was reflected. What did he fall to like round five? He I, think to, yeah, Texans, either, I think it was five. Yeah, yeah. So I think the Texans ended up scooping him up, but there were several other tight ends that went above. Brevin Jordan. So the media must have liked him a lot more than the NFL did as a prospect. 
Um, and I think Granson has a little bit better movement skills than Brevin Jordan. Um, think of Kylan Granson as like a young Trey Burton. The Trey Burton who got like the $35 million contract from the Bears, Trey Burton. I mean, he's 6'1 and a half. Trey Burton's like 6'2. Uh, Grandson is 241 pounds. Some nice numbers in his workout. He ran a 6'4", 40-yard dash, 36.5 vertical, a 6'3", 9'3", cone, which is good, except if you compare it to Quiddy Pays. Um, And he he was productive. Uh, They asked about his uh, drops in the post-draft interview, which, by the way, all these post-draft interviews are available. I dropped that episode on Monday, so if you haven't listened, go listen. Uh, But he says that was one game. He had four drops in one game last year. I forget who it was against, but he said drops weren't a problem before that. They haven't been a problem after. He says, I don't know what was going on with me with that one game, but it just kind of snowballed, and I dropped four balls. Uh, So that's what he says kind of gave him that drop problem label. But he's an excited player who will be a role player in the Colts' offense, hopefully sooner than later. He'll play that Trey Burton role that we saw last year, but hopefully be a little better. I think he's more athletic at this point in his career than a 30-year-old Trey Burton. We go to round five, pick 165 overall. The Colts select Florida safety Sean Davis, not to be confused with the free agent who signed with the Colts, Sean Davis, a little while ago. Their first names are spelled differently. S-E-A-M, the uh, free agent. S-H-A-W-N, the rookie. So good luck to us trying to keep them separate. But uh, <laughs> did tweak his hamstring during his 40-yard dash at his pro day. So that was a little disappointing. But uh, had five interceptions over two years at Florida. Uh, looked at more of a hard-hitting safety on the back end. And a guy who can come up and run support as well, more than the center, typical center fielder. Uh, so, Chap, this is a... Um, a, a a guy that you bring in that you expect probably to have more of a special teams role and certainly a backup role in the secondary there as well, um, but but not a guy you're expecting to come in and make a dramatic impact year one like uh, people were hopeful that Julian Blackman would last year after he got fully healed for, uh, from his injury. So uh, this Sean Davis, maybe not one we'll see on the field all that much, but a guy who can make an impact in the few times he is out there with, with his toughness, with his physicality, with his attitude, with – with the, which with the Colts defense really does want to play. So it's kind of a match for him. It, it's funny when Chris Ballard talked about each one of these guys and he starts talking about Sean Davis, he said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to mention Bob Sanders, but well, Chris, you just did. You just mentioned Bob Sanders. You just did. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's what they, 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 a lot of what they, what they went after and what they go after is this physical aggressive player. They, I think it was a Jim Irsay said that when people play the Colts on defense, we're coming for you. So they, they want an attacking defense. They want a defense that can that can change games. And again, I th- this guy's going to be a a spot barring injury, a spot player, special teams player. But that's what they're trying to do with some of these picks. Is th- th- there weren't a lot of starting positions open. There just weren't. So they're looking to to, to kind of strengthen the bottom third of the roster and that's what a pick like Sean Davis does for you the Colts traded their pick at 206 overall finally a trade we knew Chris Ballard was back in that draft room somewhere and finally he shows himself with a trade with the New Orleans Saints moves down 12 picks in the sixth round and picks up the first pick in the second uh, in the seventh round in order to uh to make that deal and so the next time the Colts are on the clock in the sixth round they take Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger 
much to the delight of our very own Chris Woodlick, main sports anchor at CBS4, a University of Texas graduate himself. But uh, 6'1", 220 pounds. Uh, Ellinger's a dual-threat quarterback, had 94 touchdowns during his time with the Longhorns, ran for 33 more. Uh, A lot of people probably I saw questioning this pick. I'll say that, like, about two weeks ago, I tweeted something that said, just to toot my own horn here, toot, toot. I would not be surprised if the Colts drafted a quarterback here because you need some another body there that's a competent quarterback that you were going to stash on your practice squad somewhere. And uh, the, the Colts uh, chap thought that Ellinger was their guy, enough to spend a sixth-round pick on him in order to uh, ensure that they were able to get him in camp and, and uh, move forward there. Playing devil's advocate, uh what happens? Go ahead, please. What happens if Wentz goes down in in the opener? Did you you got two quarterbacks who, who one's a rookie and one's basically a rookie? So I kind of thought maybe they would they would look for that veteran guy that everybody knows his name, but everybody knows he really can't play very well. So that my only concern is is you you're you're lacking that guy to come in who you think who you hope can win you a game, two games, three games, whatever, while your starters. Uh, rehabbing from whatever it is. And I tell you, I was looking for a story later on. I was looking. The Colts are one of only two teams in the league now whose quarterbacks didn't take a snap with that team last year. You know who the other team is? Uh, boy. Jacksonville? Um, nope. Gardner Minshew, what's wrong with you? Oh yeah, yes. The New York Jets. Uh, the, new, the, the new the New York Jets. The Jets, yeah. Obviously, yeah. So so you know it, it's they're they're totally reloading. My only concern is that you, you don't have the veteran presence, and if you think you're a if you are what you think you are, meaning a playoff team, it would be nice to have somebody behind there that 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 kind of knows what they're doing early in the season if it happens. But this is the and it it, it can still happen. We can see how that goes, but they want. They're going to see what they've got with Eason and, and you know, Ellinger. Ehrling, was it Ellinger? Sam Ellinger. Ellinger. He'll that get. A, he'll get a chance to be the third guy and may, maybe practice squad. We'll see. But uh, you know, Frank Reich's really good at working with the quarterback, so we'll see how they do this. Mike, uh, not Mike, but uh, Joe. Uh, I think Ellinger and Jacob Eason are—they're very different quarterbacks. I mean, Eason's more of a statue, stand in the pocket, big guy, huge arm, can can chug it wherever he wants to on the field. Ellinger more known for for his his mobility along with uh, his arm. I mean, when 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 a GM and coach start describing you as whatever it is, he has it. Well, that means he doesn't have other traits. He doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the strength. Like, he has it. You'll think he has something, but it's not exactly what Jacob Eason has. So two different quarterbacks, a little bit of a different flavor for the Colts between their number two and number three guys right here. Yeah, they just kept bringing up, you know, Sam Ellinger is a winner. He has it. He has whatever intangibles they keep wanting to point to. And, I mean, to be fair, he is a six-round pick. Um, oh, yeah, so if, yeah. he, if his career, if he ends up being a career backup quarterback for 10 years in the NFL, it's a pretty successful sixth round quarterback, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was surprised by the pick as well. Like I said with Mike, I didn't think they would want two quarterbacks with no NFL experience as their backups, but it appears to be the case this year. Maybe that has to do with um, 
salary cap. They want to save the money to re-sign people and to sign their left tackle. They don't want to give a backup two, three, four, five million dollars. Um, I'm sure a six-round rookie quarterback's a pretty cheap against the salary cap there, but we'll see. I guess they'll just let Ellinger and uh, Jacob Eason battle it out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even Ellinger, he's not even that athletic. He ran like a four-eight or something like that, but he can move around a little bit, but he's not going to you know, outrun people as he steams down the field. So it's an interesting pick, but then again, it's a six-rounder, so you can't be that mad at it. Under round seven, a developmental wide receiver out of Charleston, D2 Golden Eagles uh, wide receiver Mike Strawn. Big dude. Things you can't teach. 6'5", 226 pounds, 34-inch arms, and uh, he used that to very much dominate the Division II level. He had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons as a sophomore and a junior, did not compete in 2020 because of the uh, pushback of the season uh, due to the COVID pandemic. But uh, as a junior chap, he scored 19 touchdowns. That, that's difficult to do no matter who you are, no matter what competition you're in, no matter uh, how much better your physical tools are than the guys you're playing. So uh, you, you see the potential he has. But this is very much going to be like uh, Desmond Patman was last year, a guy that you stash on the practice squad uh, that you do not intend to play. At least I don't think they intend to play him at all this year unless he surprises everyone, myself included. So this is a developmental pick, and they'll see what they have out of this guy in a year or two. Yeah, one of the questions we asked the scouts uh, when we had him after the draft is, how, how do you figure out whether a player at a, at a non-football, you know, non-power school how does that translate to the NFL? And they said, if you play at this level, did you dominate? And you should dominate if, you, if you're that quality. And he did. So, But, yeah, th- 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 this is a projection. And, again, the one thing you can't teach is 6'5", 226. You just can't. So, And, and he ran a 4'5". So th- th- this will be interesting. They, they, they're kind of trending to bigger receivers. And, again, like Joe said, with, with the, the QB, this is a seventh-round pick. If you hit on it, great. If you if you don't, it's a seventh-round pick. Your other seventh-round pick for the Indianapolis Colts, Penn State tackle-slash-guard Will Fries, six foot six, 309 pounds. Uh, in spite of uh, Chris Ballard's tongue-in-cheek mention that there is tackle depth in this draft, uh, Will Fries is certainly not the prototypical left tackle that he was talking about, was not there for them in round one, only 32 and seven-eighth inch arms. You don't see too many left tackles with arms that short. They're mostly 34 inches or longer. You see a couple that are in the 33s, but you see very, very, very few in the 32s. So, uh, guys, this is, uh, in Will Fries, the, uh, Joe, this is a guy that is certainly not intended or thought to be your, your left tackle of the future. It's a guy to be your swing offensive lineman in the background alongside Danny Pinter, who's there kind of now, who can be moved around and play here or there and be plugged into different places because Fries has experience at different positions throughout his career at Penn State. Yeah, he has a lot of experience at different positions. Second team All-Big Ten last year. We'll see if he makes the team. It seems like every year the Colts take an offensive lineman around seven um, and they kind of teeter on the practice squad. Who was it last year? Barton? Barton? Jackson Barton, Barton was a year or two ago. Uh, there was a Patterson a year or two ago. Uh, yeah, that just yeah. haven't stuck. They haven't stuck. And and this just kind of feels yeah, – I don't want to condemn the guy before he even gets to the team, but just this just feels like another one of those picks where 
if he ends up being something, great. If he ends up being a your swing tackle or your swing guard, that's great. If not, you put him on the practice squad or move on, and all he was was a seventh-round pick. Um, so you can't really count on him too much for depth. You just kind of hope he pans out and you get more than what you bargained for out of a seventh-round pick. Of all the day three picks, I really liked Mike Strawn. I mean, someone with that kind of size, athleticism, and production will catch your eye. I saw Colts Twitter after he got drafted trying to move him to tight end, <laughs> saying, you know, give him, have him pack on another 15 pounds and let him play tight end. Good luck having a linebacker try and cover that guy. So I think he's an intriguing player. He'll have to compete with Patman for that spot on the team. I think he's a little more athletic uh, than Patman. But then again, Patman's been around developing for another year with the Colts. And Patman seemed to be hanging out a lot with uh, Michael Pittman Jr. over the offseason. So those guys seem to be working out together. We'll see. All these day three picks, you, you just kind of got to hope for the best because they fell that far for a reason. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You're not getting guys on day three of the draft that uh, that you expect to come in and be be a playmaker and a, and a game changer day one. Some guys do, and it's a pleasant surprise. But uh, but yeah, those are guys mostly that uh, that you're hopeful, and, and you'll see what happens. So uh, guys, let's give our overall thoughts on the draft and a grade before we wrap things up. I'll start. Uh, Chap will go to you, and then Joe close us out. But I think this was this was a solid draft for the Colts. You met one need for sure with your defensive end, uh, at least you hope. Um, as we've said on this podcast before, you chase positions over the years that you miss on. Back to Jerry Hughes, who didn't pan out here. Bjorn Werner, who didn't pan out here. Uh, the slew of guys right now who are on the roster, second-round picks who haven't exactly uh, fulfilled their potential. And so uh, the, the best way to try to stop the uh, bleeding, so to speak, is to draft multiple guys at that position and draft them high. So I think uh, with the additions of Quiddy Pay and Dio Dangbo, you're, you're hopeful that that, uh, that bleeding is finally stopped, that you've got one of those two guys at least as a defensive end in the future that can get 10-plus sacks on a yearly basis. Um, I, I like Kylan Granson. I think he's intriguing. After that, it's a whole lot of who knows. Um, so uh, I, I – with, with with what the Colts were able to get, I think you certainly can give it a, a B, B-plus range. But when you look at the idea that they don't have a left tackle right now, um, I, I, I can't give them more than a B-minus just because that's a big need that hasn't really been met in the draft. That could certainly change if they bring someone in in free agency. But in my at least my idea of how to grade a draft, you, you take in what you what you get, what needs you had, and kind of compare those two together. And uh, if uh, you bring in some playmakers and guys who, who fill certain needs, awesome. But if you leave a need that's wide open, I can't necessarily give you the, the full um, grade that I think the, uh, the quality of the player deserves. So as a team, I think the Colts would get a B-minus from me in this draft. And uh, they have the chance to prove me wrong for sure and the chance to improve themselves if, in fact, they do something more in free agency at the left tackle position. Chap, what do you think? Yeah, I'd say B, B minus, and it's all predicated on what they get from Quitty Pay right away, uh, because you're not going to get much from uh, Dio until, like we talked about, maybe October, Granson perhaps. But th this draft, the success of this draft will overridingly depend on what they get from Pay. He was, if you want to say, edge rusher was their biggest need. Fine, so he's got to be the guy. Uh, and, and then they've really got to, as we've talked about, and we will until it's done. They've got to find a left tackle. They can't go into the, in my mind. They, it would be it would be wrong to go into the season with Tevi as your left tackle. 
So, and one thing we talked about too is it was really unrealistic, I think, to believe they could get both of those solved in this draft with the kind of quality player they wanted. Whether you took the the edge rusher first and then tried to find the the tackle in round two, it was kind of clear from what Ballard said that they weren't going to get the quality player in round two. So if you're going to go this route, you've got to do something in free agency, this last wave of free agency to compensate. But this draft, will, to me, will rise and fall with what Pay does. I'll, uh, my initial reaction was to give it a B minus for the reasons you guys said. I mean, could you imagine if Banigou or Trey had panned out and we could count on them by now, and then they took Darisaw? I just feel like this, and then they got uh, Deo Adengbo still in round two. I feel like that would leave a much better taste in our mouths. Um, maybe next week we'll be saying something different if they end up signing a tackle. I initially wanted to give it a B minus, but factoring in that the third round pick helped acquire Carson Wentz, I'll give it a solid B. Um, you know, I think Ranson might be able to give you a little something right away, a catch and run guy. Um, hopefully he can give you at least what Trey Burton gave you this past year, uh, maybe even more. I'm really high on Pay. I think he's going to be an uh, excellent player for the Colts. It's just a question of how soon can he really put everything together. And then I really like Deo too. It's just I'm, I'm not really counting on anything from him this year. And the Colts are a team kind of in win-now mode. Um, so I'll, I'll give it a solid B. Um, and clearly it has room to go up as the years go along if these high upside players reach that upside. So I encourage you once again to follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Get updated on Colts news throughout the week, and we anticipate there could be some left tackle news coming throughout the next week. So certainly something to pay attention for. Also subscribe to us here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get us delivered to your inbox and your podcast listening device as soon as these podcasts drop also encourage you to go back and as joe mentioned listen to the podcast the special edition that he sent out earlier this week when we heard from all these picks that the uh, colts made uh so get it straight from them don't just take it from us let's hear from them see what they have to say about themselves and their impending future with the indianapolis colts so rookie mini camp coming up this week for the horseshoe and then uh, more camps and off-season programs and all that uh, still throughout the next couple months before obviously training camp and the regular season comes up in later September. And we'll have plenty more Colts Blue Zone content coming to you every week between now and then. So we do thank you for listening to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. For Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell, I'm Dave Griffiths. We'll see you next week.